welcome everyone to Understanding the I Am That Is You podcast. Hey everybody, it's your girl Lynn Rutland, and I pray all is well with everyone, and your hearts and minds are full of love, joy, and compassion for yourselves and everyone else all over the world. And although we exist in a world full of negativity and dark energies that sometimes seems inescapable, know that we wouldn't be in the world at this time if we couldn't handle it. And understand also that we are not here by happenstance in this millennium, but we are here to be world changers. Therefore, as we are reminded of the real power within us, of our mighty I Am Presence, and the divine assistance that is readily available to us, let us no longer allow those lower vibratory qualities of past traditions and conditionings those of negativity and darkness to infiltrate or continue to dominate the sacred spaces of our heart or our psyche. Amen. Give thanks and praises for love and light. And y'all be loved. Whoever has an opinion of his own, and honestly expresses it, will be guilty of heresy. Heresy is what the minority believe, it is the name given by the powerful to the doctrine of the weak. This word was born of the hatred, arrogance, and cruelty of those who love their enemies, and who, when smitten on one cheek, turn the other. This word was born of intellectual slavery in the feudal ages of thought. It was an epithet used in the place of argument. From the commencement of the Christian era, every art has been exhausted and every conceivable punishment inflicted to force all people to hold the same religious opinions. This effort was born of the idea that a certain belief was necessary to the salvation of the soul. Christ taught, and the church still teaches that unbelief is the blackest of crimes. God is supposed to hate with an infinite and implacable hatred, every heretic upon the earth, and the heretics who have died are supposed at this moment to be suffering the agonies of the damned. The church persecutes the living, and her God burns, for all eternity, the dead. It is claimed that God wrote a book called the Bible, and it is generally admitted that this book is somewhat difficult to understand. As long as the church had all the copies of this book, and the people were not allowed to read it, there was comparatively little heresy in the world, but when it was printed and read, people began honestly to differ as to its meaning. A few were independent and brave enough to give the world their real thoughts, and for the extermination of these men the church used all her power. Protestants and Catholics vied with each other in the work of enslaving the human mind. For ages they were rivals in the infamous effort to rid the earth of honest people. They infested every country, every city, town, hamlet, and family. They appealed to the worst passions of the human heart. They sowed the seeds of discord and hatred in every land. Brother denounced brother, wives informed against their husbands, mothers accused their children, Dungeons were crowded with the innocent, the flesh of the good and true rotted in the clasp of chains, the flames devoured the heroic, 
and in the name of the most merciful God, his children were exterminated with famine, sword, and fire. Over the wild waves of battle rose and fell the banner of Jesus Christ. For 1600 years the robes of the church were red with innocent blood. The ingenuity of Christians was exhausted in devising punishments severe enough to be inflicted upon other Christians who honestly and sincerely differed with them upon any point whatever. Give any Orthodox Church the power, and today they would punish heresy with whip and chain and fire. As long as a church deems a certain belief essential to salvation, just so long it will kill and burn if it has the power. Why should the church pity a man whom her God hates? Why should she show mercy to a kind and noble heretic whom her God will burn in eternal fire? Why should a Christian be better than his God? It is impossible for the imagination to conceive of a greater atrocity than has been perpetrated by the church. Every nerve in the human body capable of pain has been sought out and touched. Let it be remembered that all churches have persecuted heretics to the fullest extent of their power. Toleration has increased only when and where the power of the church has diminished. From Augustine until now, the spirit of the Christians has remained the same. There has been the same intolerance, the same undying hatred of all who think for themselves, and the same determination to crush out of the human brain all knowledge inconsistent with an ignorant creed. Every church pretends that it has a revelation from God, and that this revelation must be given to the people through the church, that the church acts through its priests, and that ordinary mortals must be content with a revelation, not from God, but from the church. Had the people submitted to this preposterous claim, of course there could have been but one church, and that church never could have advanced. It might have retrograded, because it is not necessary to think or investigate in order to forget. Without heresy there could have been no progress. The highest type of the orthodox Christian does not forget, neither does he learn. He neither advances nor recedes. He is a living fossil embedded in that rock called faith. He makes no effort to better his condition, because all his strength is exhausted in keeping other people from improving theirs. The supreme desire of his heart is to force all others to adopt his creed, and in order to accomplish this object he denounces free thinking as a crime, and this crime he calls heresy. When he had power, heresy was the most terrible and formidable of words. It meant confiscation, exile, imprisonment, torture, and death. In those days the cross and rack were inseparable companions. Across the open Bible lay the sword and faggot. Not content with burning such heretics as were alive, they even tried the dead, in order that the church might rob their wives and children. The property of all heretics was confiscated, and on this account, they charged the dead with being heretical, indicted, as it were, their dust, to the end that the church might clutch the bread of orphans. Learned divines discussed the propriety of tearing out the tongues of heretics before they were burned, and the general opinion was, that this ought to be done so that the heretics should not be able, by uttering blasphemies, to shock the Christians who were burning them. With a mixture of ferocity and Christianity, the priests insisted that heretics ought to be burned at a slow fire, giving as a reason that more time was given them for repentance. No wonder that Jesus Christ said, I came not to bring peace, but a sword. Every priest regarded himself as the agent of God. He answered all questions by authority, and to treat him with disrespect was an insult offered to God. No one was asked to think, but all were commanded to obey. In 1208 the Inquisition was established. Seven years afterward, the Fourth Council of the Lateran enjoined all kings and rulers to swear an oath that they would exterminate heretics from their dominions. The sword of the church was unsheathed, and the world was at the mercy of ignorant and infuriated priests, whose eyes feasted upon the agonies they inflicted. 
acting, as they believed, or pretended to believe, under the command of God, stimulated by the hope of infinite reward in another world, hating heretics with every drop of their bestial blood, savage beyond description, merciless beyond conception, these infamous priests, in a kind of frenzied joy, leapt upon the helpless victims of their rage. They crushed their bones in iron boots, tore their quivering flesh with iron hooks and pincers, cut off their lips and eyelids, pulled out their nails, and into the bleeding quick thrust needles, tore out their tongues, extinguished their eyes, stretched them upon racks, flayed them alive, crucified them with their heads downward, exposed them to wild beasts, burned them at the stake, mocked their cries and groans, robbed their children, and then prayed God to finish the holy work in hell. Millions upon millions were sacrificed upon the altars of bigotry. The Catholic burned the Lutheran, the Lutheran burned the Catholic, the Episcopalian tortured the Presbyterian, the Presbyterian tortured the Episcopalian. Every denomination killed all it could of every other, and each Christian felt in duty bound to exterminate every other Christian who denied the smallest fraction of his creed. According to the theologians, God, the Father of us all, wrote a letter to his children. The children have always differed somewhat as to the meaning of this letter. In consequence of these honest differences, these brothers began to cut out each other's hearts. In every land, where this letter from God has been read, the children to whom and for whom it was written have been filled with hatred and malice. They have imprisoned and murdered each other, and the wives and children of each other. In the name of God every possible crime has been committed, every conceivable outrage has been perpetrated. Brave men, tender and loving women, beautiful girls, and prattling babes have been exterminated in the name of Jesus Christ. For more than 50 generations the church has carried the black flag. Her vengeance has been measured only by her power. During all these years of infamy no heretic has ever been forgiven. With the heart of a fiend, she has hated, with the clutch of avarice, she has grasped, with the jaws of a dragon, she has devoured, pitiless as famine, merciless as fire, with the conscience of a serpent, such is the history of the Church of God. I do not say, and I do not believe, that Christians are as bad as their creeds. In spite of church and dogma, there have been millions and millions of men and women true to the loftiest and most generous promptings of the human heart. They have been true to their convictions and, with a self-denial and fortitude excelled by none, have labored and suffered for the salvation of men. Imbued with the spirit of self-sacrifice, believing that by personal effort they could rescue at least a few souls from the infinite shadow of hell, they have cheerfully endured every hardship and scorned every danger. And yet, notwithstanding all this, they believed that honest error was a crime. They knew that the Bible so declared, and they believed that all unbelievers would be eternally lost. They believed that religion was of God, and all heresy of the devil. They killed heretics in defense of their own souls and the souls of their children. They killed them because, according to their idea, they were the enemies of God, and because the Bible teaches that the blood of the unbeliever is a most acceptable sacrifice to heaven. Nature never prompted a loving mother to throw her child into the Ganges. Nature never prompted men to exterminate each other for a difference of opinion concerning the baptism of infants. These crimes have been produced by religions filled with all that is illogical, cruel, and hideous. These religions were produced for the most part by ignorance, tyranny, and hypocrisy. Under the impression that the infinite ruler and creator of the universe had commanded the destruction of heretics and infidels, the church perpetrated all these crimes. Men and women have been burned for thinking there is but one God, that there was none, that the Holy Ghost is younger than God, that God was somewhat older than his Son, 
For insisting that good works will save a man without faith, that faith will do without good works. For declaring that a sweet babe will not be burned eternally, because its parents failed to have its head wet by a priest. For speaking of God as though he had a nose, for denying that Christ was his own father, for contending that three persons, rightly added together, make more than one, for believing in purgatory, for denying the reality of hell, for pretending that priests can forgive sins, for preaching that God is an essence, for denying that which is rode through the air on sticks, for doubting the total depravity of the human heart, for laughing at irresistible grace, predestination and particular redemption, for denying that good bread could be made of the body of a dead man, for pretending that the Pope was not managing this world for God, and in the place of God, for disputing the efficacy of a vicarious atonement, for thinking the Virgin Mary was born like other people, for thinking that a man's rib was hardly sufficient to make a good-sized woman, for denying that God used his finger for a pen, for asserting that prayers are not answered, that diseases are not sent to punish unbelief, for denying the authority of the Bible, for having a Bible in their possession, for attending Mass, and for refusing to attend, for wearing a surplice, for carrying a cross, and for refusing, for being a Catholic, and for being a Protestant, for being an Episcopalian, a Presbyterian, a Baptist, and for being a Quaker. In short, every virtue has been a crime, and every crime a virtue. The Church has burned honesty and rewarded hypocrisy. And all this, because it was commanded by a book, a book that men had been taught implicitly to believe, long before they knew one word that was in it. They had been taught that to doubt the truth of this book, to examine it, even, was a crime of such enormity that it could not be forgiven, either in this world or in the next. The Works of Robert G. Ingersoll, Volume 1 Lectures, 1900, Heretics and Heresies, 1874 do we find the Holy Fathers in their unrelenting persecution of pretended heresies, that we see them telling, without hesitation the most preposterous untruths, and inventing entire narratives, the better to impress their own otherwise unsupported arguments upon ignorance. If the mistaken relation to the Tetrad had at first originated as a simple consequence of an unpremeditated blunder of Hippolytus, the explanations of Epiphanius and others who fell into the same absurd error have a less innocent look. When Hippolytus gravely denounces the great heresy of the Tetrad, Colarba and states that the imaginary Gnostic leader is, Calarbasus, who endeavors to explain religion by measures and numbers, we may simply smile. But when Epiphanius, with abundant indignation, elaborates upon the theme, which is heresy 15, and pretending to be thoroughly acquainted with the subject, adds, a certain Heracleon follows after Colarbasus, which is heresy 16, then he lays himself open to the charge of deliberate falsification. If the zealous Christian can boast so unblushingly of having caused by his information seventy women, even of rank, to be sent into exile, through the seductions of some in whose number he had himself been drawn into joining their sect, he has left us a fair standard by which to judge him. C. W. King remarks, very aptly on this point, that it may reasonably be suspected that this worthy renegade had in this case saved himself from the fate of his fellow religionists by turning evidence against them, on the opening of the persecution. And thus, one by one, perished the Gnostics, the only heirs to whose share had fallen a few stray crumbs of the unadulterated truth of primitive Christianity. 
All was confusion and turmoil during these first centuries, till the moment when all these contradictory dogmas were finally forced upon the Christian world, and examination was forbidden. For long ages it was made a sacrilege, punishable with severe penalties, often death, to seek to comprehend that which the Church had so conveniently elevated to the rank of divine mystery. But since biblical critics have taken upon themselves to set the house in order, the cases have become reversed. Pagan creditors now come from every part of the globe to claim their own, and Christian theology begins to be suspected of complete bankruptcy. Such is the sad result of the fanaticism of the Orthodox sects, who, to borrow an expression of the author of the decline and fall of the Roman Empire, never were, like the Gnostics, the most polite, the most learned, and most wealthy of the Christian name. And, if not all of them smelt garlic, as Renan will have it, on the other hand, none of these Christian saints have ever shrunk from spilling their neighbor's blood, if the views of the latter did not agree with their own. And so, all our philosophers were swept away by the ignorant and superstitious masses. H.P. Blavatsky The Philolethians, the lovers of truth, and their eclectic school, perished, and there, where the young Hypatia had taught the highest philosophical doctrines, and where Ammonius Saccas had explained that the whole which Christ had in view was to reinstate and restore to its primitive integrity the wisdom of the ancients, to reduce within bounds the universally prevailing dominion of superstition, and to exterminate the various errors that had found their way into the different popular religions, there, we say, freely rave the oipoloi of Christianity. No more precepts from the mouth of the God-taught philosopher, but others expounded by the incarnation of a most cruel, fiendish superstition. If thy father, wrote Saint Jerome, lies down across thy threshold, if thy mother uncovers to thine eyes the bosom which suckled thee, trample on thy father's lifeless body, trample on thy mother's bosom, and, with eyes unmoistened and dry, fly to the Lord who calleth thee. This sentence is equaled, if not outrivaled, by this other, pronounced in a like spirit. It emanates from another father of the early church, the eloquent Tertullian, who hopes to see all the philosophers in the Gehenna fire of hell. What shall be the magnitude of that scene? How shall I laugh? How shall I rejoice? How shall I triumph when I see so many illustrious kings who were said to have mounted into heaven, groaning with Jupiter, their god, in the lowest darkness of hell? Then shall the soldiers who have persecuted the name of Christ burn in more cruel fire than any they had kindled for the saints. These murderous expressions illustrate the spirit of Christianity till this day. But do they illustrate the teachings of Christ? By no means. As Eliphas Levi says, the God in the name of whom we would trample on our mother's bosom we must see in the hereafter, a hell gaping widely at his feet, and an exterminating sword in his hand. Malik burned children but a few seconds, it was reserved to the disciples of a God who is alleged to have died to redeem humanity on the cross, to create a new Malik whose burning stake is eternal. That this spirit of true Christian love has safely crossed 19 centuries and rages now in America, is fully instanced in the case of the rabid Moody, the revivalist, who exclaims, I have a son, and no one but God knows how I love him, but I would see those beautiful eyes dug out of his head tonight, rather than see him grow up to manhood and go down to the grave without Christ, and without hope. To this an American paper, of Chicago, very justly responds, this is the spirit of the Inquisition, which we are told is dead. If Moody in his zeal would dig out the eyes of his darling son, to what lengths may he not go with the sons of others, whom he may love less? It is the spirit of Loyola, 
gibbering in the 19th century, and prevented from lighting the faggot flame and getting red hot the instruments of torture only by the arm of law. H.P. Blavatsky When conditions of the outer world become disturbing, call as frequently as you can for the angels of the sacred fire of indestructible purity and invincible, unconquerable power, to come into destructive conditions and compel the evil to cease to be. This is the way and means the beloved mighty I am presence and the ascended host fulfill your call. But you must hold the picture in the mind and realize these are real, living, tangible, eternal beings who direct a power mankind cannot direct until it is purified for eternity and clothed in the ascended master's consciousness that is immortal perfection. Therefore, whatever is wrong in the outer world can be changed, can be consumed, can be stopped, if enough of mankind will awaken to the truth of this law and call it into action to do what the physical body of unascended beings cannot do. That's why the call is imperative, and that's why mankind has been told since the first embodiments on this planet, in every civilization mankind has been reminded again and again and again, call unto me and I will answer thee. Ask and ye shall receive. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Now when people of the outer world say, well, we don't know why this or that or something else is manifesting, when people of the outer world want to know the fiery Christ truth about the ascended masters and the angelic host, when mankind wants to know the truth of the perfection that manifests the universe and fills it with limitless, eternal manifestations of worlds, and systems of worlds, and suns, and systems of suns, when the outer intellect of man wants to understand that, and asks for the fiery Christ truth of the law that manifests the universe, the individual will receive the illumination and the truth, because no part of life can ask for that and not receive it through love. But you can't ask that in defiance of the feeling of love and peace and harmony and blessing to the rest of the life in infinite space. Everything depends on the purity of your own feeling, the sacred fire love within yourselves which is in your heart, and the sacred fire love of the seven mighty alohom within your brain structure. And this is the source of everything constructive that has ever come into your outer self. And your mighty I am presence and the ascended host have poured forth their sacred fire love constantly through these flames within your own flesh body. Now the average person may accept this intellectually and accept that it's the truth. But beloved ones, every one of you can have the experience of seeing these flames within yourselves and observing and being taught by your beloved I am presence and the ascended host of the eternal divine way of perfection of the manifestation of the life from the great central sun into the outer self and reveal the master control of the physical body and the mind. This begins with your feeling more than in the intellect. And that feeling is the stillness, the purity, the harmony, and the peace. And when the energy in the feeling world is kept quiet and under balanced control, the intellect can be illumined on the instant by the mighty I am presence, higher mental body, or by the radiation of an assisting master, an ascended being. So, mankind is not left without help. There is a God correction of every mistake. There is a God solution of every problem. There is a God control of everything in manifestation. And there is a God intelligence that knows all, and will give all that is perfection for eternity. Beloved Archangel Michael, So, the angelic hosts are your friends of mighty power, and of mighty importance beyond anything mankind understands. 
Become acquainted with them by asking them to blaze their sacred fire loves control of everything in you and your world, and hold protection of everything that you do that is constructive. And more than that, ask the legions of the angels of the sacred fire to keep destructive forces away from you. There are those guarding angels. There are limitless legions of those who direct the blue flame and the blue lightning, and to the destructive forces, they would seem terrifying, yes, because they are masters over destruction. But they never use a destructive force. When they consume something that is destructive, there is no pain to that which is being consumed, because it is the sacred love of the sacred fire. And the violet consuming flame is that. The unfed flame is that. The sevenfold flame of the seven mighty Elohim, all these activities of the sacred fire are eternally harmonious, invincibly, indestructibly, eternally pure, absolutely balanced. And there is nothing that can ever result from anyone's use of them except perfection forever expanding. So blessed ones, I want you to become very close friends with the angels of the sacred fire loves control of everything in manifestation that comes under my direction, and that means practically everything on earth. I am master of it. I can come, and I can proceed anything and everything that is a manifestation of that which is constructive. And if destructive forces want to interfere with that, they must be dissolved by the sacred fire which the angels of blue flame and blue lightning love, and its indestructible purity are able to consume without any opposition. Beloved Archangel Michael,